Welcome to the Philocrosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Philosophy Podcast. I am really excited to introduce Mikey Thompson. Welcome him back to the podcast. Mikey is the head lacrosse coach at Christopher Newport University, a program on the rise. This past year, they were the number one seed going into the Division Three tournament with a heartbreaking overtime loss in the quarterfinals. And the year before that, a Final Four appearance for the first time. Mikey and I have become great friends, talked a lot of a lot of lacrosse, a lot of free play, a lot of constraints, let approach, inner game of tennis, mindfulness, um, to name a few things. Uh, Mikey, how you doing, man? Doing great. Really excited to be talking lacrosse and excited to get our guys back on campus and um, excited for fall ball in a new year. Yeah, totally. Oh, the one thing I mentioned that we've been talking a lot of lately is surfing, which I'm pretty fired up to come down and uh, – Grab one of your stand-up paddle boards down in uh, Virginia Beach this October. Yeah, I um, excited to get you off the stand-up and onto a onto a board on your stomach here soon too. <laughs> I don't think I can do it. I got hip problems. Um, <laughs> but uh, this podcast, I'm really excited. I've been, you know, you and I've been talking about this for a few months. Um, we are really excited to dive into the principles-based offense. This is a, a really exciting topic that we've been talking about for a few years. We've been going on our own sort of separate journeys with the various kids and teams that we coach. Um, but we always kind of come back to talk and watch film and share. And we're going to do it here on this podcast. So let's go back in time, Mikey, to how we kind of got started together Um talking lacrosse, becoming friends uh, through sharing and learning of lacrosse. I think it was through the coaches training program. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, my, my journey as a coach has been kind of unique in, in that I've been at the same spot for over 10 years now. Um, you know, my, my first four years were as an assistant at CNU after my one year at UVA um, as a, as a student assistant. And um, and then in 2016, I think I was 27 years old at the time, um, got my first opportunity as a head coach. So um, I knew that I had a whole lot to learn and um, I didn't have the traditional, you know, climb the ladder and learn under a bunch of different head coaches. I, I just knew that I had a lot to learn and that kind of led me to you and the coaches training program. And um, that's where I feel like I kind of like got my master's in coaching lacrosse, you know, in terms of the X's and O's and, um, just spent so much time with the content and that program and, um, you know, got to know you well along the way and share some ideas. And, um, it's just kind of cool how in today's day and age, you can really, you can really dive in and learn as much as you want to about just about anything. And, um, I feel like that's, uh, that's been a big part of my, um, my success, um, over the years is just being willing to, willing to learn new things. And I think this principles based offense, as we start talking about that is a pretty good example of it. Totally. It's actually insane how much we've learned in the last few years since we got started as much as there was to learn back then. 
I just feel like the learning has just accelerated. But let's go back in time and talk about the fact that one of the things that we had in common was we were both on our own free play journeys. Um, when I sold 3D and I stepped down as the lacrosse coach at Mountain Vista High School, I had a chance to reflect and really think about what I was happy with, what worked, what didn't. And I would say the main thing that I wasn't satisfied with at all, and, and I was proud of the work that, that, that we had done at those both of those programs, but I was not satisfied with the translation of what I knew kids could do and what they actually did in games. Like I knew I had taught, I don't know, let's say I had a list of 150 skills. I had taught those to these high school and club players over the course of seasons. And yet I just felt like they, they would get into games and they just wouldn't use the majority. It's kind of like those lines that you only use 5% of your brain. I felt like that was like about the percentage of like what the skills kids used. So what I did in 2017, my youngest daughter was a, an eighth grader going to ninth grade. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do club. I'm just going to play free play. Just going to play pickup games in the street, three by games. And I started doing that with my own kids and, and, and with these kids, champ three athletes that I was working with, but simultaneously you were doing the same thing. Yeah, it was one of the first things that that we really um, embedded into our team culture was instead of just having the, you know, the wall ball sessions and the time on the cage and the strength and conditioning and the footwork, um, we really wanted to give the guys the opportunity to bring out the small cages and the tennis balls and no pads and, um, you know, first and foremost, enjoy the game and enjoy spending time together Um you know, as a little break from their, their studies. And um, all the while, just knowing that this style of lacrosse is as close as it gets to playing box lacrosse. Um, and True. just, just the amount of decisions that you get to cram into a 30 minute game and the amount of finishes, um, you know, the, the, the faking and the hesitations and the communication that happens both on offense and defense, those, hilarious ground ball scraps <laughs> um, where guys get to kind of push the boundaries and push the limits of what's, what's acceptable out there um, without pads on. Um, I think it was just kind of a no brainer that we wanted to get that going. And um, it's, it's become a really important part of our team culture. It's so true when you talk about this is the closest thing to box because what is box box is basically it's the, it's the tight confines of box that some people may think attribute to the, the boards and glass, but really it's the goal size. The goal size makes everything happen in tighter and you have to get to the middle to score. And what I started seeing was the development of these kids because I started filming it, all of it. And I just started watching these kids actually do the skills and the deception and the, the, the hesitations and the shots and the feeds and all the things that I wanted them to do that we were repping, I started seeing them do in these games. And I was like, well, if you can do it in these games, I, I, you know, I bet you will actually do it because you're doing it unprompted. You're just doing it. It's just the skills began to emerge. And as time went on, we went through a pandemic and I started watching all these kids that I was working with do these skills in the backyards with brothers and sisters and moms and dads and families. And I just watched people learn how to get a feel for things. Even, even some kids that were like top recruits in the country were, were doing like area one-on-ones 
with their little sisters and getting a feel for how to jab and shift weight. Or they were playing little games of two by where they were clearly learning how to high level draw and dump, fake draw, dump and deliver all kinds of passes. Um, And it was just crazy. So let's fast forward to 2020. What I, one of the things that was kind of a breakthrough for me in, in, in this process of learning was two man game. Um, where in around the summer of 2019 and then again in the summer of 2020, I, I started to understand two-man game in a very different way. And I did a, I did a webinar called Hang Up Two-Man in like, I don't know, the fall of the winter of 2020. And then I followed it up with an off-ball two-man game webinar when I learned just the value of simultaneous actions and ball movement. And just all of a sudden, it just opened this incredible – I don't know, this, this, this vault of opportunity. Now, around that time, we had talked a lot about this. And I, I want to dive right into Christopher Newport and how you applied this. Um, what it was like for you as a coach to apply this principles-based offense with these simultaneous actions and ball movement, along with the free play, along with the constraints led approach and how you've kind of evolved with that and the success you've had, the, the challenges you've had along the way too. Yeah. I mean, I think that over time you start to see all the benefits of, of two man game and of, you know, bringing defenders towards the ball to create more opportunities off ball. And you start to learn some of the nuances of how to attack in a two man game, both on and off ball. And, um, you know, as we'll talk about, like a big part of this is spacing and, um, defenses get a little bit uncomfortable when there's no one in the middle of the uh in the middle of the defense from which to slide and to slide and um and so over time throughout you know playing three play we would implement some picks in our in our free play games and um and it it would it felt like a big risk you know at first and i think in the uh, middle of the season in 2021 is when we really started um implementing some of these principles and to be honest, I didn't feel like we were quite ready and I didn't feel like we had quite enough time to go all in on the principle-based offense, which we call Greece now. Um, but after having, you know, some, uh, some success with it in 2021 and then really going all in this, uh, this, this past year, um, I feel like it's the type of thing that we would never go back on. And, um, it's funny because I say like, I feel like it was this big risk to do something new and uh, to do something that prioritizes these principles, which are ultimately the most important part of running good offense. Um, but looking back just to see how our guys have developed and um, how they've grown as players and how they're reading the game a lot better. Um, it really doesn't feel like a risk at all because all you're doing is, like I said, you're prioritizing the most important things of playing good offense and all the other stuff kind of takes care of itself. So anytime I feel like it's getting too complex, it's really the principles. If you go back on them that are, that are, um, that are doing the teaching and that are taking care of the, um, the results. In the fall of 2019, I did a solo, a few solo podcasts and one of them was called fundamentals. And I was talking about the word fundamentals and I was saying, I don't think fundamentals are techniques. I think fundamentals are principles. Fundamentals aren't overhand 
passing or or shooting or or two hand ground balls or you know sticks to the outside fundamentals are shot selection fundamentals are possession fundamentals are ball movement fundamentals are reading fundamentals are deception and this is what kind of like got me thinking about a principles-based offense because it's kind of what we do on defense isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely i mean defensively you're always having to read and react and you have certain principles in terms of how you want to play the ball and how you want to support each other and um and other than that you're you're reading what's in front of you and um i think offensively obviously as coaches sometimes we get a little bit too scripted and then you're, you're trying to create a look and sometimes there's an advantage before that look even gets there. Um, and sometimes the look never, the never, the look never, uh, shows up. You see it in man up all the time where you're looking for this great shot, but maybe there was something there before that look even gets there. And then, um, if you don't get what you're looking for now, everybody kind of starts to panic. So it's this, it's kind of this change in, Um, just the way that you're always playing and you're always probing and you're always reading the defense and you're always trying to, you know, manipulate the defense with hesitations and deception and, um, uh, you know, picking. And it's just a little bit different way of thinking of it offensively. I always noticed when I was coaching, when I was coaching defense over the years, whether it was at the University of Denver as a defense coordinator with the Atlanta Blaze coaching defense at Mountain Vista High School, I always kind of noticed that the, the defense, you know, always seemed like a little bit more consistent and ready to play. Now, part of that is because I think it's, <clears throat> it's it's a little easier to to defend sometimes than it is to 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 to, to score because you can do everything right in offense and not score and it, it was not good. But but what I noticed was the defense was always sort of in sync. They 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 knew what they were looking for. They were seeing the field. They were taught to see your man, see the ball. They were taught to read the quality of defense on the ball. They were following these basic principles and, as you said, read and reacting from there. But yet on offense, we tend to just dictate and make this reductionist sort of model of, okay, well, if we're going to dodge wings, we'll run out of a one four one and let's dodge wings and we'll create these motions. And if we want to invert, you know, then we'll invert. And if we want to get some redodges, then we'll dodge kind of a Duke one, three, two, and, you know, clear the wings through and bounce out and redodge and shallow cut stuff like this. The next thing you know, you know, you have all these offenses to get you these various looks and in every single one of them, we're just re- we're reducing the options and handcuffing our players. And, and meanwhile, I started thinking like, well, why wouldn't we just, why not just make the whole offense around these principles like let's we 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 don't want somebody in the crease to give them a slider we we want to dodge you know and get shots we want to get shots with our six to the middle so we probably want to dodge from the wings more than from the top or from behind um and we want to play two-man games like you said earlier it, it it subtracts defenses from the back from the from the help um and we obviously want to swing the ball that's a that's a you know moving the ball ball movement creates you know, new, new, new responsibilities. Every single time the ball moves, it spreads the defense out every time the ball moves. Um, you know, this off ball pick action idea. I mean, we've reduced the opportunities for players because we will say, 
you know, to the middies, you got to dodge, follow and float and we're not you, or exchange, you know, instead of actually trying to teach people how to like get open and score. Not that exchange is the, the worst thing in the world, but we, when you reduce things to you can only do this, you just limit. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the principles that you guys use in your principles based offense that you call Greece. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it all started with us with possession and we've um, always been a team that likes to get up and down and, and play fast and be opportunistic and have defensemen that can carry over and make plays and transition. And we, and we still, you know, we still do that. And um, I have to use this, this analogy because uh, I just love it um, from, from your guy, Alex Sarama. I actually use this at, at, at during one of our practices. And um, when he's talking about shot selection he says, imagine that you are in an Apple store for the length of a shot clock. So in basketball terms, maybe that's 30 seconds for us, maybe it's 60 seconds. And every two seconds, a different Apple employee pops out and tries to hand you any version of an iPhone. So anywhere from like an iPhone three to an iPhone 13 pro max. And, you know, if you get an iPhone 13 pro max in the fourth second, then you're going to take it and you're going to leave. Right. But if the first thing that you get is a iPhone cracked, you know, a, a cracked iPhone three, then you're just going to keep you're going to stay in there a little while and you're going to keep working on it. So it all starts with possession and it starts with shot selection, making sure it doesn't necessarily matter when you're getting that shot within the course of the shot clock. But you want to make sure that it's a really good shot. And that can be, you know, making sure that it's with your stick to the middle, you know, um, close to the cage, um, hopefully off of the pass, you know, um, we, we really want to move the ball and create assisted shots. Um, and then along with possession too, we talk a lot about handling pressure. Um, a lot of our drills, because we're going to be bringing defenders to the ball with a lot of picks, we need to be able to handle pressure in tight spaces. So a lot of the drills that we ended up doing, um, is uh, is just dealing with that dealing with that pressure um so i think it all started with possession for us and um and then before we you went, move on before you yeah. move on on that statistically you shoot at a higher percentage with your sticks to the middle statistically you shoot at a higher percentage off the catch just to sort of give a little bit of background to you know part of the reasons why it's not just a preference right right absolutely absolutely um, and, uh, and that's, that's stuff that we look on, look at in film, you know, and it's, it's, uh, if possession is your number one principle, then, you know, a lot of the learning process for our guys would be talking about their decision-making. And so, um, not only shot selection, but feed selection, you know, if you can, if you play in this offense, you can really play to your strengths. And if I'm a righty and I'm on my wrong side and I've got my back to the back to the cage with someone on my back, it's not really a good idea to throw me the ball in that in that scenario. Um, so feed selection is, is a part of possession as well. Um, and then we moved on to uh, our second one was ball movement. So um, we you know, we wanted to be a team that was a great passing team and 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 um, and uh, created those shots off of the off of the pass and. Um, just understanding that every time the ball moves, the defense's responsibilities change. And 
Um, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to be able to swing the ball from one side of the field to the other side to create some tough approaches. Um, we wanted the defense to get worn out throughout the course of a possession and have to communicate a whole bunch and jeopardize their approaches and, and stuff like that. So we, we definitely, um, did a lot of keep away, you know, in, in our practices so that we got used to the fact that we're just not going to be hanging on to the ball and long dodging too much. We want to keep the ball moving and essentially turn our offensive possessions into a giant game of keep away and just keep picking on and off ball and, um, and, uh, and waiting for those, waiting for those opportunities to, to arise. Um, and I think this was the biggest adjustment, our third principle. Um, and this is Jamie, where I've learned so much from you over the years um, was picking on and off the ball simultaneously. So, um, you know, just always looking for opportunities to, to pick and to create advantages and to create confusion with the defense on the ball. And then when you understand how to create, um, create advantages with your on-ball picks and you start to read how the defense is playing the picks, whether that's, you know, switching everything or, trying to fight over picks or trying to get under picks when you start to realize how to attack based on how the defense is playing it. And then you start to realize that that's exactly the same reads that are happening off ball. It gets really, really fun to start digging into the film and just working on those nuances of how to create advantages based on how the defense is playing. For me, that was the most fun part of this whole offense you know, is just watching practice, watching the drills, watching the games, and just talking through those intricacies of how to create advantages in two-man games. It's just, it's so much fun. And that was where the skill development just went, you know, it was off the charts. I mean, we had um, one of my, I guess, fears of running this offense is, you know, we have a bunch of players that are your downhill dodging, traditional, you know, public school kids from Virginia, and they, they don't have a whole lot of experience in the box or experience with picking. And I was like, man, are we going to, are we just going to look like we don't know what we're doing out there, but over time with the drills and the film and, um, and, and, and just the light bulbs were going off. It was so cool to see some of our guys play the best lacrosse of their lives this past year and do things that maybe no one thought they were capable of doing um, before, uh, before we started doing some of this stuff. So, um, so that was the third one was picking on and off ball simultaneously. The fourth was our spacing. We talked a lot about keeping the middle open, um, for, for the, the main reason is we didn't want to give the defense an easy anchor from which to slide and to slide. We wanted to keep them on their toes and constantly be thinking about where are they going to slide from, um, you know, are they going to pull someone in from the backside and essentially have a pre-designated slider? Or are they going to just, you know, slide adjacent at the last second? Um, in which case, we, we worked a lot on our fade technique to be able to just make the simple pass forward. Um, and we wanted to be able to dodge into the middle and then uh, cut into the middle um, you know, with the advantages that hopefully we're creating on the wings by picking on and off ball at the same time. So a lot of our offense would initiate on the wings and the low wings. And, you know, you get a half a step coming towards your strength to the middle of the field. 
And all of a sudden, because there's these off ball picks going on at the same time, the defense has to figure out how they're going to play that. Sometimes they're so occupied with that off ball movement that you just run right into the middle and shoot and score. And sometimes if there's a defender just sitting there in the middle, ready to slide, well, now you're picking and sealing off ball and you can swing it to the other side. And now they have to work on a tough approach. And so, um, so having the middle open to dodge into and cut into um, was something again, that we had to really, really focus on um, early in the year, because what do most guys like to do? They like to just kind of bury themselves in the middle and, uh, and pop or float. That's just kind of what they're used to doing. So that, that definitely took, that definitely took some work as well. Um, and then, and then our last principle, um, was, was, was reads and that all comes down to once you are possessing the ball, well, once you're moving the ball, well, once you kind of get in a rhythm and you understand that we want to be picking on and off ball at the same time, dodging from those low wings, doing some big little stuff behind, which I feel like we had some success with. And then once you get a a handle on the spacing of the offense. Now all the coaching really comes down to the reads and that's where we could really dive into the film and help guys understand that no matter how the defense plays picks and no matter how well they play picks, there's always going to be these little ways that you can create advantages as long as you're reading the defense and you understand when to hesitate, you understand how to manipulate the defense and um, like I said, that was the really fun part is that that's where you can really spend all your time. And that's why I feel like we got better throughout the course of the season because they didn't have eight different offenses to learn. We just got better at reading defenses and, and attacking accordingly. While you keep focusing on the principles, such as possession, shot selection, feed selection, handling pressure, you know, all the passing, which is the principles that everybody has. You know, I, I, there's a lot. I remember thinking to myself, well, any offense I'm running, I have certain principles that run right through all of them. The problem was with all these offenses, not that they don't produce good looks because they do. There's so many good looks. But the thing is, is that what we would end up doing is starting to prioritize these looks over the principles themselves. We'd say something like, dude, we're supposed to exchange out top when the ball's behind in our big little and our deuces. And then we'll be like, yo, buddy, there's nobody covered. There's nobody even on you. Just cut. But that, that, that's what happens, right? I mean, one minute you're telling them to do the action and the next minute they do the action and they didn't make a read. And so when you, <clears throat> it doesn't mean that that look wouldn't be good. It would be. It's just that when you, if you keep it really simple, there's just not, a, it's too easy to guard. And as you add more and more and more, all of a sudden, there's too much to remember. Which is a really good segue into one thing you introduced me to that was massive for me as a coach um, and, and, a, and a human being is just this concept of mindfulness and, spe and specifically with the inner game of tennis. Will you talk a little bit about what this book is about? You sent me this book on tape around Christmas time, 2019 right before the pandemic. And really it, it changed a lot for me. And it wasn't even until today that I had the epiphany of what it's really done for me and what it can do for all of us as a coach. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and how it applies to, to all of this. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the the main takeaway from this book is it, it kind of explains the mental game as if there's two selves and, and self one is essentially your, your thinking mind, you know, uh, your judging mind, whenever you're, you're playing sports and you make a mistake, you know, the first thing you do is kind of beat yourself up and, you know, sometimes you end up missing the next moment. Um, and then there's self too, which is essentially just your, your, your intuition or your body, you know, what you're actually capable of doing. And, um, maybe the easiest way to explain it would be, you know, just watching a, a young kid learn to do anything, you know, they're, they're learning without really being taught or told how to do it. And, um, and there's a lot of trust that needs to go into self too. And, the mental game has a lot to do with just getting out of your own way and not being so judgmental of yourself. And, um, you know, I think how this might, might relate back to playing offense is that sometimes self one can end up being what you're supposed to be doing from a, a sets and motion standpoint. So you're so focused on doing the right thing and being in the right place, the right place, I guess, is, uh, a relative term. That's the right place is kind of what the coach is telling you to do and where to be that maybe you miss the opportunity to just do what's right in front of you. Um, and so, you know, what I, what I do, I, I guess, uh, why this was so important for me as a coach and some of the stuff that I do with my guys is, is helping them understand kind of how to, how to play a little bit more in the moment and how to, um, maybe not be so judgmental of themselves. Um, obviously we want to use film to, to learn as much as we can, but, um, if we're not beating ourselves up all the time and we're not labeling things as good and bad and right and wrong, and, um, we just are able to kind of, um, you know, be in the moment a little bit more Then ultimately we can be a little bit more consistent. And, you know, a couple of other things that we tie into that, um, a term that I always like to like to introduce to some of the kids that you've worked with, Jamie, some of the JM three athletes. One of the first things that we talked about is neutral thinking and neutral thinking is essentially that, you know, the past is real, you know, whatever just happened, it happened. And there's nothing that you can do to change that, but it has nothing to do with what you'll do next. Right. So being a little bit more mechanical in the way that you think, and understanding that ultimately what you do next is what's going to be most important. And if you keep that mentality, it allows you to be a little bit more consistent so that one mistake doesn't lead to three mistakes or, you know, one big win doesn't lead to, um, doesn't lead to becoming arrogant and then playing poorly the next, the next game, you know, the, the, the examples can be endless, but, um, but I think that that's just a really important, a really important takeaway is that if we can be in the moment a little bit more and we can be a little bit less judgmental of ourselves and our teammates and, um, be a little bit more aware of the moment as it unfolds, then we're probably going to be able to play some of our best lacrosse. You know, it's so interesting when I, when I started going down this free play journey and I was getting, my own children, the, the the high school girls team that I was coaching, which is Thunder Ridge High School, and all the JM3 athletes, I was getting all these kids playing pickup. And what I started to notice was that the kids that were like painfully unassertive became kind of 
not overly assertive, but they just became like, they just made the play that presented itself. And even the kids that were like ball hogs began to just like learn how to move the ball. And if you think about it, how many times have you run up a, a practice and you'll have a kid come up and be like, coach, what should I work on? You know, it's funny when you, when you play free play, nobody ever says that you just play. And if you watch the film of free play, the kids are like literally so dialed in to what's happening that they're just focused in the moment. They don't have time to worry about it. They're not looking over their shoulder, cringing if someone's going to yell at them or criticize them, nor are they looking for, a, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the, the coach saying, good job. They're not looking for anything. They're literally just playing. And when the ball hits the ground, they go after it. And, and I've noticed the confidence of kids increase massively. Um, and it just kind of comes back to everything that we're sort of talking about here. And then today we were sitting here talking about this podcast a little bit. And we were talking about like how, how does this whole model fit into the principles-based lacrosse and into coaching? And it's simply that when we're trying to tell people what to do and what not to do, and, and, and it becomes like self-one. Because it makes more sense to us to this is to judge it. I remember when if I would watch my kids play three by back in like 2016 when I was coaching high school, I didn't even like watching it because I felt like they were not playing hard enough. I was just judging it based on like whatever judgment I felt like it should be, rather than actually realizing that they're just playing. And when the ball hits the ground, they go after it. Um, but but they're getting things out of this that we can't possibly. Um, you know, replicate. It's just happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, another big takeaway for, for us this year was to actually just come up with a few principles for every part of the game, um, whether it's transition or riding or um, clearing, you know, just really simplifying uh, each, each phase of the game into a few principles so that we didn't, uh, we didn't handcuff them. And when you start, you know, tagging everything as a execution or um, a mistake within those principles, everything became pretty clear and it allowed our guys to, um, to be a little bit more creative and to play hard and to compete. And, um, and I think that that was really, that was really cool to see. And just, just, you know, one example of this is, um, you know, this offense, I, I still, I still want to keep working on it, but um, everybody always asks, is this something that you could run versus own? And I think you hundred percent can, right? Like there's no reason why this, this couldn't be a great zone offense, but we ended up just coming up with a few different principles for zone offense. Um, we were, we were fortunate to play Wesleyan in the, uh, the sweet 16 and Wesleyan, you know, Coach Rabe has done an amazing job with them over the years, and they have one of the greatest zone defenses, you know, there is. And um, and so we knew that we were going to play this zone. And um, and when we were preparing, we came up with principles of zone offense because there's probably some overlap between your uh, six-on-six offense, your zone offense, and your man-up offense for sure. Um but I always felt like when we ran sets and motions in zone, you kind of just move the ball around the outside. You're, you're not really, really playing, you know, you're not always probing and looking to the inside and trying to find those soft spots and stepping into gaps. You know, you're not really, 
when you get stagnant in zone offense, it just feels awful. So we came up with a few principles for our zone offense. And, um, you know, we ended up just having one of our, our greatest days offensively that we had all year um, or maybe ever. And we just said, you know, attack the gaps, um, you know, throw to the pressure. So if you're stepping into a gap and someone stays on your back, then we're going to look to throw back. And if they pass it off, then we want to throw it forward and, um, earn your skips. So don't turn the ball over because you're trying to skip it too early in a possession before you get the defense to rotate. Um, you know, we had a high, low inside. So at any time we wanted to pinch that back pipe, but also have someone kind of in that high bubble area on the inside to, to stretch guys. Um, probing short sticks was one of them. So identify where the short stick is in the zone and really, really probe that guy. Um, and then just a simple, if they scrape, throw it right back. So that's all we did with our zone offense. And when our guys were just using those principles and then making reads, um, we had a lot of success. So I think just, just simplifying the game and figuring out what do you, what do you think the most important principles to each phase of the game is, can be a really, really effective way to go. Mikey, real quick, um, rattle off some of the stats, um, on a national level that your offense um, was able to generate last year running this? Um, well, I think we had the uh, number one scoring margin. So, you know, when you think about possession, um, I think it was like 11.2 goals. Um, so that hopefully by possessing the ball, you're, you're helping your defense too, right? You're giving them a rest and you're keeping them fresh and time of possession is obviously really important. Um I think we had the uh, the top ground balls per game, which, you know, if there's one stat that I would love to have every year, that would probably be the one. Um, and then um, I think that we were like fourth in the country with assists per game. Um, and then I think we were fourth in points as well. So, um, you know, definitely, definitely some of the statistical categories that that we would love to be at the top at year after year. I want to dive back into a, um, a couple elements of two-man game and player development and advantages and all that. But before we do, we got to talk about Tony Holler and feed the cats. Because this is kind of like when we talk about this principles-based lacrosse model, and we've we've touched on player development, and we've touched on you know how it fits into offense and defense and rides and clears and zone offense, and and we talk about the mental game and the principles involved with being in the moment. We also have to talk about the principles that Tony Holler, um, who's uh, really one of the smartest guys I've ever met. He runs an organization called Feed the Cats. He's a high school chemistry teacher and track coach out of Illinois. Um, and, and Tony prioritizes performance and he prioritizes speed and he prioritizes rest, recovery and sleep. Um, he actually worked with Princeton lacrosse, you can read an article um, about Mark Ellis, their strength coach. Tony met with the lacrosse program and the strength coach, and they now they have Feed the Tigers down there at Princeton. And obviously they went from, you know, from having a good season to great, right? Um, they haven't won that championship yet, but they were significantly more athletic. And so Tony's model is about prioritizing performance, which would be prioritizing game day, but, but also prioritizing – performance in practice which means you can't go hard all the time 
Mm. And it fits in so perfectly. I did a really in-depth blog on this back last March where it just sort of talked about how you can plan out your week. Um, I, I took this to heart when I was coaching my daughter's high school girls team. We actually, we had a really good team, but we didn't have, like literally had no subs. So I was like, okay, we can't get injured. We played a lot of free play with this team. I mean, like, you know, nine of the kids ended up being division one players, but um, are either on their way or committed. We, we basically had practice. We had games on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We practiced on Saturdays and Mondays. And I gave them Wednesday, Friday and Sunday off. On those practices, we went hard. On game day, we went hard as hard as hell because we had no subs. And I couldn't believe the difference in keeping your team fresh. And I would challenge everybody to really think and learn this feed the cats model how beautifully it translates or it, it 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 allows you to integrate free play into your model because you can in men's lacrosse particularly you can start to have low impact high decision making opportunities when you do pick up with no equipment which gives you all the development you need without beating anybody up or even running too hard. But then you can also prioritize those practices when you got to go hard. Um, Mikey, give me some thoughts on, on where you're at with feed the cats and how you're integrating this stuff and speed development into your program. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, My favorite Tony Holler quote, I think is that the best ability is availability. So I think, you know, looking back at how often we, you know, we just beat our guys down to the point where they're getting hurt and then they can't play on game day or, um, you know, they're they're not completely fresh on game day is really just handcuffing ourselves. So so that high low model that that he suggests is um, is huge. And I think for us, one of the most important things with our guys is we want competitors. Right. Like we want guys that um, even when they're playing, you know, without pads on they're going to compete. Um, so those high days, we base everything around competition so that they're really getting after it. And we're not stopping, uh, stopping practice to do too much talking and too much coaching. We just film everything and then do our coaching with the film. Um, but we want guys that are really, really going to compete every time that they're out there. And, um, I think sometimes when you think about free, uh, free play and three by and all that, you might think that, well, they're just kind of out there screwing around and they're not really, they're not really competing. Um, but that's, that's kind of the opposite. You know, we want, we want to have practices where guys are really, really getting after it. And there's a scoring system to pretty much every drill that we do during those high days. And then, like you said, during the low days, um, those low impact days, when we don't want to beat them up too much, they're really getting to scale their decision-making reps with the small sided games and with the, um, the pick reads and the communication. So, um, so it's, it's been really eye opening to see how you can go throughout a season and not get injured more than you might need to. Um, you know, we didn't do a whole lot of running in practice at all. We tried to use the game to get us in shape as opposed to running laps around the outside of the field or, you know, doing two hundreds and stuff like that, which, which ultimately is kind of what gets you hurt. Um, and, uh, you know, we also got, got the timing systems so that we can go out there and track our speed and free lap. 
uh, the free lap system. Yep. So we'll, we'll be doing that throughout the off season. And, um, and uh, it's, it's really exciting to see how much faster our guys are getting just by, um, you know, the, the warm up that we've been doing and by also just running a few forties or 10 yard flies a day. Um, and, and it kind of goes back to the inner game of tennis. You just kind of figure out when you're being timed, you figure out how to run faster, sure. right? It's, it's, it's not about, it's not about, yeah, self-organizing. It's not about a speed coach telling you, you know, that you need to drive your knees higher or pump your arms faster. It's really about, Hey, this is how fast you ran try something different to run faster the next time. And we've taken that, that idea of now we track everything, you know, in the weight room. Um, we use score break for film, which is awesome where you can create these tag boards and, you know, get as deep into the weeds of analytics as, as you want to, but we've always kind of had the mentality as coaches that we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, yell and scream at people to make them want to be great, but we do want to tell them where they're at. And if they're at the bottom of the depth, the, the bottom of the depth chart, and they're um, at the, uh, at the bottom of their position with their strength and conditioning testing, then, you know, there's only two options. And so um, I think that Tony would tell you, that's really important to make sure that you not only time everything, but you track everything and you celebrate the progress along the way. Record rank and publish is what he uh, talks about. And, you know, it's funny because if you talk about principles, is there a principle more important than speed? <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you make yourself, you know, Prin Princeton had like an average of over one mile per hour of increase per athlete. You want to know what 1.2 miles per hour looks like? DK Metcalf chasing, chasing down, uh, is it Buda Baker or Baker? Buda Baker. Yeah. Buda Baker. TK Metcalf chased him down. That was a 1.2 miles per hour difference. He looked like he was like tied to a tree. Imagine if everyone on your team improved by one mile per hour because you actually prioritized speed and started sprinting. Now I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm no Tony Holler, but I've listened to him talk a lot. And I talked to my athletes, my JM3 athletes about this a lot. And, and the fact is you cannot get faster if you're working on getting slower. You can't get faster if you run longer than about five seconds. You can't get faster running a mile, running three miles, running five miles, running suicides, running sprints, or even running like 1040s. The way you get faster is to run your absolute fastest. And you can only do that like three or four times with about five minutes rest in between. You can't even do it every day. It's a neurological, neuromuscular adaptation. It's in the mind. It's firing synapses. It's not just your muscles. But I want to go back to this whole competitive side going hard and the also the free play and the actual the the the, the interesting part of free play from a neurology neurological perspective. I don't know if any, any of you guys have ever heard of the Andrew Huberman podcast, the Huberman Lab podcast. Did you, you check that out, didn't you, Mikey? I must have sent that to you. Did we talk about this? I think so, yeah. Huberman lab. This guy, uh, look it up. Andrew Huberman. He's a he's a professor of neurobiology at Stanford, and he does this podcast on the brain all the time. And he did one on free play. It's fascinating. It's a long one. It's like a ninety minute podcast, and it's very very technical at times, but it is absolutely eye opening. But I'll sum it up in a couple of things. One, play is a homeostatically regulated part of the human condition. Humans need play. 
because play is how we evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to learn. Play is actually, I think he said it's the best way to create neuroplasticity, which is opening new neural pathways in your brain. And play, when it's low, it has to be low stakes though. It can't just be like, you know, so, so you need to play a pickup game where it's, where it's not, it, it can, it needs to be competitive and it needs to be, you need, it, it can't be like meaningless, he says, but it can't be where your adrenaline is going to be uh, getting cranked up because then you won't learn because then you're in a, a fight or flight mode. So the best way to develop your decision-making and to learn how to explore contingencies and to tinker and to mess around with new skills, that's what happens. And the best way to do that is to, is to it, it, sort of create this free play. All right. So switching gears, I want to go back to some of the things you were talking about um, when you were talking about the principles-based offense. First, you were talking about creating advantages. You know, advantages um, in, on offense is how we score, right? So we can create advantage by beating somebody one-on-one and drawing a slide or, or, or beating them one-on-one and getting a shot. Um, we can create advantages through ball movement and difficult approaches. So if somebody, we can create advantages through mismatches. And those are the traditional ways that everybody is, is, is running their offenses. What is so interesting about two man game is that you can create advantages. I think more consistently and more easily through two man game than you can through isolation. And you can still get the, the advantages of mismatches and the advantages of difficult approaches when you integrate on-ball and off-ball two-man games together. What is the advantage in two-man game? I've been thinking a lot about this. It's either where you get two-on-one. So if one person switches and one person stays, you have two-on-one. No matter how they play it, this can happen. The other advantage you can get is when you sort of have a positional advantage. So for example, uh, let's just say that you know, the defense successfully switches a pick, but the picker has position to the net by virtue of the pick itself and the roll to the net. You have position. Or another example would be if the defense was going under a pick on ball and you adjusted your pick to make them run farther under and now all of a sudden the Dodger is using a straight line to get to a spot to shoot and the defender has to run up a longer arc to get there, for example. These would be like examples of positional advantages. And you also get a two-on-one oftentimes where it's two offensive players against the one defensive player. That two-on-one occurs, which is kind of the draw and dump two-on-one that we think of when we dodge. Um, But these two-on-ones can occur, I think, at a higher percentage because you you can use deception and you can use the fact that the defense has to cover what you're doing. They have to cover it. And if you understand what the coverage is, those are the reads you were talking about. Alex Sarama calls them coverage solutions. You can punish the defense no matter how they played it. So if they switch, you can engage two and slip the picker. If they go under, I mean, basically you can shoot or you can create that positional advantage by making them run farther under. If they run, if they come over, you can invite them over the top and put them on your back. Like you see happen in basketball all the time when they, when they trail people over picks. 
it's really interesting to think about those advantages because they're not not every two man game is created equal. So uh, the first pick of a game out by the side of the box, pulling the ball, shorty picking, you might not create very much of an advantage. But if you were to swing that ball and then swing it back, the defense just ran all the way in. Now they have to come play you. Now you're going with a two man game against an approaching defense, and let's just say somewhere near the hashes you're going to have a much better chance to create an advantage on that two man on that two man game than you did on the initial one that was way out by the side of the box. Likewise, if you were to, a lot of people only pick with shorts to longs and they will only like mirror long to short, but frankly, it's a lot easier to create an advantage with a shorty on the ball. The same way it's easier to create the one-on-one draw double advantage when the shorty's on the ball. And so give me a couple of thoughts, if you would, on, this way of sort of thinking about advantages and how you guys looked at it at CNU. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing when you're, when you're talking about doing so much two man and three man on and off the ball, um, the first thing that we needed to do was just, was just rep it out in, um, in as many different drills and environments as we could. And um, obviously the, the thing that you have to have is a defense, you know, and we would end up just using our offensive guys as defenders for the most part, just so that we could scale our reps. And um, for example, you know, the first 10 minutes of most of our practices in the spring were just keep away games where it was five on five keep away in a pretty, in a pretty small spot, you know, pretty small space. And um, we would, um, we would script the defense and say, Hey, you know, guys, every time we bring two together for a pick, we want the defense to switch every single pick. And so we got used to the technique that you can use, you know, sitting in that pocket a little bit, slipping one away, maybe sealing, uh, sealing your own guy so that you can come over top of that. Um, and just, just scaling those reps all the while you're moving the ball, you're, you're picking off the ball as well. You're communicating off the ball so that you can facilitate that ball movement. I mean, I think, when you talk about reads, that becomes the most important read there is, is making sure that your off-ball guys are watching the on-ball two-man or the on-ball three-man action so that when that guy needs an outlet, you can facilitate that ball that, that ball movement. Um, and then we would, we would flip it and say, all right, now it's a defense that likes to you know stack and whack. They like to step out and hedge and uh, keep their matchup and go underneath. So now we're going to run and, you know, we're going to engage the switch. We're going to reset that pick a little bit closer to the net. Um, We're going to sit in that pocket a little bit. And that's kind of creating that positional advantage that you were talking about. Um, And then, you know, we'll blow the whistle. Guys will switch it up and then we'll, we'll say, Hey, now, now it's a defense that likes to fight over all these picks. You know, they like to get really, really aggressive. So now we're going to readjust that pick at the last second we're going to do a little rocker hesitation to encourage them to fight over, give them a little window of space, and then turn the corner tight to that pick so that we can create that half a step. So um, so it's using those drills to really get them a feel for how to create those advantages. And we film our keep away, you know, we, which sounds crazy, but we actually film these 50 to 60 percent kind of screwing around keep away games to say, Hey, look at this, look at this guy, you know, he's a basketball player. So maybe he just gets it a little bit more watch his technique here, you know, watch this little rocker that encourages that defender to think he can fit through. And then he turns and, you know, creates that advantage. So that's really the way that I've found helps you um, scale your reps and understand the feel for the two man game as much as anything. And then, 
when you do your scouting reports, it can come down to, you know, how does this team, how does this defense traditionally like to play picks? You know, maybe this is a team that we're going to be setting picks a little bit closer to the net because they really want to go underneath them. Maybe we can just stop right when they go underneath and hammer some shots or use that, use our hands and eyes being free to feed. Um, and so that's kind of where the reads become your upside because you can really, it's endless in terms of what you can learn about how to, as Alex Sarama would say, punish the defense based on how they're playing those picks. Well said. So when you're thinking about your two-man games, you should be thinking about, are we creating advantages? And if we're not, why are we not? A lot of times Alex Sarama will say, if you're not, if you, if you're not creating advantages, even though you had the proper coverage solution in mind, it was probably because you didn't use enough deception. We'll get into that in a second. There's a really interesting concept I want to talk about with player development and two-man game and deception. Before we do, I think there's another reason why, too, because I think sometimes there's not enough off-ball actions. The off-ball actions that flow right into on-ball actions create so many distractions and so many decisions for the defense, and they create so many more difficult approaches, like everything. When the defense has to approach, it's a lot harder than when they don't. And so if the defense is set when you're setting picks, they're going to probably play it decently well, even if you know what they're doing. But when all of a sudden you've got off-ball actions before on-ball actions, so maybe it's ram screens like we talked about, you know, on a three-man side where you have a little off-ball action uh, right before an on-ball action. Or maybe it's because you have off-ball actions going on and the ball swings immediately and the defense was in a help position and now all of a sudden they're scrambling to get back to their guys and their communication is late. They're, 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 they're trailing you know, whether they're, whether you're approaching the ball, it's going to make a really big difference as to how you're supposed to play it or whether you're approaching your man's the picker and you're approaching the play that way and you're trailing the play. Um, it's, it's remarkable. And, and, and it leads me to the concept of you can create more off ball advantages that you can create off ball advantages at a higher percentage than you could create on ball and you're going to create on-ball advantages at a higher percentage if you can do them with deception and approaches and in scoring areas on the field. And so uh, what are some thoughts on those concepts? Yeah, one of the concepts that we were playing around with throughout the year was, um, you know, being able to swing the ball in the middle of a two-man game. So instead of just working your two-man game to the end and trying to create, you know, either the two-on-one or the positional advantage that you were talking about, you know, let's just say the defense chooses to keep their matchup and go under. Now, if you can pause in that pocket and swing it to the other side and then immediately start to work together off ball, that's where we got some really good opportunities because now the defense, first thing that they do when that ball swings is they, they a relax and then they, well, they beat, watch it. They, they watch, watch the ball. it. Yeah, watch it, yeah. relax, and then start to get in and think about what's their next off-ball role going to be. And so that's where we were able to look for give and goes and nations cuts and um, and really start to capitalize on the fact that because ball movement is your second principle, you're going to be moving the ball while you're attacking. You know the whole time, and so. I think that that's where your off-ball actions can be um, can be really effective, and of course, you'd hope that the middle is open through throughout the course of the possession for the for the most part. 
Um, I forgot who it was, but there was a box coach that referred to the middle as the lung because you move in and out of it. You don't just sit in there. So I thought that was kind of cool. You know, we had to work with our guys on taking a hard cut to the middle if you had an advantage, but if you're not open and you don't get the ball, then you want to just stop immediately and immediately start to go back and work with another teammate. If you get too separated, too far apart, well, then you can't work together. Um, so that was one of the adjustments that we had to, that we had to really work on as well. So this is a concept that we were talking about as it relates to advantages that needs to be shared with everybody, which is how many advantages do you think you can create or how many, how many potential advantages can you create through pick actions on and off ball in 30 seconds? So in five seconds, you should be able to, on a two man side, you should be able to get at least one. And on a, on a three-man side, you should be able to get at least one, if not two. So that would be like two and a half or three potential advantages, actions, let's call them just actions, in five seconds. So if it was three times uh, six is 18. And if it was two, it'd be 12. So let's just call it calls two and a half is like 15. You have, you have 15 actions in 30 seconds of which – we already know you can get higher rates of advantages off ball than on ball and in, in certain on ball situations. And if you really understand what you're doing, then you can punish the defense and it just allows you to scale the crap out of the advantages that you're going to, that you're going to uh, create. And, and if you turn that into kind of the keep away game that you're referencing and you just keep playing, this is basically how the guys learn. And the girls and women's across, this is exactly the same, except for there's an extra player, so you can actually get two three-man sides going um, and create even more actions. It's insane. You can get three actions going at a time in women's across easily with, with somebody still backing up the net. Right. So when you have a three-man, let's just say a three-man on-ball action with a guy at X who's kind of – hanging his guy up, hopefully occupying his defender, keeping him out a little bit. And then you've got two lefties on the other side and those guys are working together, maybe one's sealing and one's flaring or something like that. Um, because you've got a three-man action on one side, that's three defenders that you're hopefully pulling away and towards the ball. Yeah. And when you can throw that 15 to 20 yard rope to the other side, well, that's a lot of space, you know, for those guys to work with over there. And um, because you're picking so much, a lot of times that's a matchup that the defense doesn't even really have time to um, to realize, right? That might be your best lefty attackman who's now got a short stick on him with a lot of space, dodging a tough approach. The middle's open, and there's a lot of a lot, a lot of good things that can happen in that situation. Totally, and they're 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 through the off ball actions you just created maybe the positional advantage for a shot because you sealed everybody in and you're getting a shot, or maybe you're creating the two on one because somebody slipped it, or maybe you, you just got the, um, ex the same advantage that everyone's looking for out of their exchanges, which would be just a matchup change because they zoned it up. And that's the thing about like exchanges that's exchanges are fine, but you, you don't need, you can get the same benefit out of pick seals and pick seals and slips that you get out of, out of as far as matchups in occupying, that you can get out of exchanges, but you're actually trying to score instead of just sort of waiting for the ball to come your way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, you just mentioned some interest, some, some stuff about, you know, sucking more players towards the ball. So 
the advantages of two-man game are that it it pulls defenders out of the slide package. So if you have a, a, a isolation and you slide, it leaves four to guard five in men's cross, five to guard six in women's. If it's a two-man game, now you slide, and now you've sent a third player to the ball, now there's three guarding four. If it's a three-man game, so on and so forth. That's why these three-man games behind the net are phenomenal. Three-man game, three-man sides are phenomenal because when you break through, there's just not much, there's not much on their side. And three-man is way harder to guard than two-man. Another topic I'll get to, we'll get to maybe on this podcast, maybe another one. But what I want to talk about also is that there are higher assisted shot percentages in two-man games because there's more skip pass lanes. There's more space. There's also higher sticks to the middle shot ratios more more assisted shots as well as more shots with your sticks to the middle and these score at a higher percentage also but the other thing that's i think is fascinating from a developmental perspective and you you mentioned this earlier when you said well i got a bunch of guys that are kind of like more like you know big strong athletic long dodging middies and, and it doesn't mean you'll never do that but what we're talking about here though is there's we we i don't know who, who we is but somebody taught dodging as just going hard and changing direction and making one move and just going. But, but really, if you think about dodging more like basketball, it's like control over your man. So you can make the next play, whatever that may be using jabs, using hesitations, really looking to pass. And when you play two man game, it naturally teaches this conceptual dodging, this higher level of dodging where you're where, where, where deception is actually becomes the most, I don't know, this, the deception in two-man game is your biggest advantage because they can't cover you equally towards the net and towards the pick. That's your initial advantage. You can look off the, you can like look at the net and use the pick or you can like look at the pick and go to the net. In everything in between, all the hesitations you're talking about are fake refusals. You're faking a change of direction, which gives you a step to the pick, which allows you to invite a guy over. Or if they really overplay it towards the pick, you can refuse the pick and go away from the pick. And that is that is like massive for player development right there. Just that. And all of the moves that go along with it, all of the hesitations, all the step backs, all the lookoffs. All of the creativity that occurs within that. When you watch Lyle Thompson, he refuses picks all the day, all day long, but he wouldn't beat his guy as easily if they weren't so worried about trying to get either under that pick or over that pick. This is how he sets up his refusals to get all his answer moves. You watch Jeff T, he just like kind of looks, bounces, 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 looks off the pick, makes gets a step on his guy. And all you need to do is get a step on your man to the two-man game. And now you can create that advantage because now you can read if you get that step. You can read, are they pushing out on me? Oh, okay, good. I'll hesitate and bring them over the top or I'll refuse it if they're really pushing out too hard. Are they going under? Good, I'll put on the brakes and it'll allow us to adjust our picks so I have this, so I can shoot it or I can have the straight line advantage. Uh, are they hack, stacking and whacking? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage too and we're going to slip that thing and you know, my man's ru running away from me and your man is stepping out. The slips wide open. We that's like it's like a switch. All of all of these things add up, and they all kind of have the same high level dodging abilities. So when you go back to your own team and you're like, "Well, can we do this or not?" Yeah, most of your kids will be able to do it. 
there's going to be some kids on your team that won't be able to do it, but they're the same kids that couldn't really do what you wanted them to do anyways. They were going to run into slides anyways. They didn't really see it. And this will be their best chance to learn how to see it. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on these concepts from a player development perspective. Yeah, well, you know, maybe one of the one of the guys that was on our first midfield line for, you know, his first three years, um, maybe he was one of those bigger downhill dodging, you know, alley shooters and, um, you know, great player, really good vision, um, you know, but sometimes he would run into slides or get doubled up the back um, and stuff like that. And I think usually it was because he wasn't changing speed, changing direction, hesitating, popping out some of those skills that you learn naturally by playing in a two man game, that was probably what was ultimately holding him back. And so I was worried that, you know, he might not be as effective in this offense, but the coolest thing was that he, he learned so quick and he had the best year of his career. Um, and so I think that it's like anything is a coach. We're trying to put our players in an environment where they can, where they can learn on their own, whether that's putting them in a box or putting them in a, in a drill where they're going to get double teamed on every pick, you know, we're always just trying to create these environments where they're, they're going to learn on their own one way or the other. And I think um, by, by giving them principles that, you know, that they're going to do over and over, you're giving them these principles because you know that they're probably the most important parts of running good offense, but they're also the analytics supported, right? Like you, you have a guy like Joe Keegan, who's breaking down all these shots in the PLL these days. And what, the what late is, great Dave Huntley, the Dave Huntley stats in 2015, 2016 MLL, like 10,000 shots. Absolutely. I mean, these are the things that are out there now that, that, that show you that, you know, these are the things that are creating the highest percentage shots. And, um, and so by making those the principles and, and committing to it, the, the skill development was really, really cool to see. Um, the other thing that was kind of cool is I, I started this little pickup league in Virginia beach and, um, we go out and play three by or four by five by whatever, whatever. And, um, we had some kids out there that had never played lacrosse and you should see how good they are now. Um, just from, just from playing these games and no one's coaching them out there at all. They're just playing and, um, and it's really, it's really cool to see. It is the way, what, what happens is skills emerge. Skills, Alex Sarama talked about this great quote. Skills, it's a simple equation. Skill equals technique plus decision. And that's what this free play, this is what this whole model does. This is what two-man game does. It's You know how hard it is to get to pe people to use hesitation moves? Have you tried to teach that? I mean, you can eventually get people to do it on command, but then they never do it. That's remember I was talking earlier in the podcast about like, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't happy with the translation and using hesitations might be the, the, the main thing that I just couldn't get people to do no matter how much we repped it. It didn't matter because it wasn't a matter of them not being able to do it physically. The skill part, the technique part was not the hard part. It was the decision to do it. And so when you start adding this pick in this scenario, I was doing it today. I had an awesome training session with a bunch of 3D New England kids and some Jam3 athletes. And I was just watching that these kids begin to pay attention to what their defender was doing and use moves in that context. And that's really what it's all about. That's what everybody should be trying to do. But 
the thing is everyone has just gotten started by just being like dodge as hard as you can change direction as fast as you can just go 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 and it, it's 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 not you know it's it, it's not really great smart across so you guys um mikey and i um are we're gonna have to come back and, and do a part two on this and dive into some other uh other topics even more deeply but as you can see there's like this holistic approach to these principles everything from constraints led approach and free play to the mindfulness and inner game of tennis concepts feed the cats concepts of rest recovery prioritizing performance and speed high days and low days and it all fits it's the coolest thing ever um will you uh sort of leave us with your final thoughts on on, on where you're going with this and how excited you are about uh 2023 yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm definitely really excited to keep diving into um, you know, diving into this offense in particular. And um, you know, it's it's all very new to me, a lot, a lot of it. And um just trying to to do the best with what we've got. And um and uh, you know, I think it at my core, I want practice to be the uh the best part of our guys' days. And I love to play, you know, and um, I want our guys to have a great experience and really enjoy um, their time on the field and their time together. And um, I think that I've always been a very hard worker and I want really hard workers on 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 our team. Um, but ultimately, if you love what you're doing and you really care about the details and you want to be great, um, this is a really, you know, really good model to follow. Awesome, Mikey. I love uh, talking lacrosse with you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And and uh, that was a really fun one. Um, let's uh, catch up soon. Awesome. Will do. Thanks so much. All right, man. Take care.